football on off the ball with sky all the football you love in one place across sky sports bt sport and Premier yeah you're welcome back Dan mcdonald's with us hello good evening Hi Joe, good evening. Just reading the Daily Mail story. Uh, fan asks Roy Keane for a selfie during NFL game at uh, Someone, I haven't, I haven't had the chance stadium. to watch this video. I, it was mentioned in a, someone actually mentioned it in Frankfurt yesterday. <laughs> Just means dropping in, I was in Frankfurt at the draw yesterday, of course. But uh, someone mentioned that Roy Keane, uh, someone, that, it's like they caught, it's like that, you know, the amazing moment when yeah. fan sort of uh, TV genre. Could well, the, the uh, image you can imagine is Keane pointing at the match and looking up in anger slash disbelief as in the match is on and you're asking me for a selfie. Yeah. Well, did you see this evening that some dude before the Man City press conference uh, went up and looked for a selfie with Pep? Um, no. Like, he had accreditation or whatever. He's got into the press conference um, and he's gone up with his mask on and then he asked Pep for a selfie and you can see Pep going... I mean, I'm in front of everyone. If I refuse, uh, so we sort of he passively, aggressively uh, agreed to do it. But I mean, obviously, presumably that person by the other media was taken outside. And well, it seems television picked given this a shilling. One up. But like, really, this is very keen as a member, a member of the public getting involved. But um, yeah, I mean. Man, like, I do feel sorry for Roy Keane. Like, I mean, where can he go for a bit of peace? You would think a corporate box at an American football game. You might, I presume, it's a corporate box of some description or some kind of hospitality. Seats look comfortable. Yeah, you think you might, you might be around people who might understand that you deserve a little bit of space. The next story I'm seeing is Iker Casillas has broken his social media silence less than 24 hours after he caused controversy with a tweet suggesting he was coming out as gay. He has uh, tweeted a picture of himself in what looks like an elevator. And a suitcase is packed and he says, time to travel far. So I dare say he's uh, trying to get away from I the mean, criticism. I mean, that story is just appalling. Isn't it? It's just, I don't even, I don't even, um, I don't even know what to say about it other than, like, you know, it's not the type of thing, that, let, let, let's have some sort of banter about it or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's so probably like incredibly hurtful to a lot of people. Mm. Um and then you see, and then you look at it from the very cold. What does this mean for him? Perspective, I would have thought pretty damaging the whole thing, and and how this all played itself out. It's all very, very odd. Yes, it's very, very strange. If you missed this, he sorry, uh, yeah yeah. Well, sorry, it's been my fault. I'm just flicking through random stories here on the internet. We'll talk about the draw. Yeah, it's nice. It's I'm nice. I've never quite had the let's just scroll through the Daily Mail app while uh, doing a show discussion, but you know. Bit of variety, Joe. We've been doing this a while. Indeed. Jonathan Wilson will, will join us later on. There has been some thought put into this hour, Dan. So, uh, I noticed. Uh, Igor Casillas uh, tweeted yesterday, kind of out of nowhere, I hope you respect me, I'm gay. And I think everybody thought, well, that's a kind of unusual and very simple forthright way of, of yeah. making this disclosure after uh, so many years in the public eye. Didn't occur to me it was a joke. It was, in, was it in response to something Carlos... No, Puyol response to him, which I'll come to in a second. Oh, sorry, it seems me. to be, well, sorry, there are two lines of thought in this. If you believe Iker Casillas, he was hacked. Yeah, it seems to be that Iker at the moment is um, single these days and is uh, the centre of much speculation in the Madrid press about who he's dating and he's been linked with Shakira and linked with different high profile yeah. uh, women. So it seems like his personal life is uh, front and centre of Madrid paparazzi life. And so this is some weird joke in response to all that perhaps very concentrated hacker you would say 
Yes, indeed. Carlos Puyol very responded. Uh, very unfortunate to be hacked by someone. Yeah. Carlos Puyol responded by saying, uh, it's time to tell our story eager. And then like, me too. I'm gay too. Ha ha. And uh, Puyol wasn't hacked. He's apologised. Uh, he said it was a clumsy joke. Uh, I messed up. I'm sorry for a bad joke, which had no bad intention. It was totally out of place. I understand I may have hurt someone's feelings. All my respect and support towards the LGBTQ plus community. So uh, not hacked Puyol. Iker Kazee is hacked. Mm-hmm. And now time to travel far is his latest uh, dispatch. Why he needs to tell us, I don't know. But uh, just uh, really poor. Yeah, I mean, I just... I just uh <laughs> like uh, the, you know the, the whole hacking thing. I mean, everyone's just like, haha, yeah. You know, we can people can people can that that's his explanation, I suppose, for what happened. Yeah. Um. Um. I I just I don't know. I mean, I think like I, I think you kind of wonder. We're talking about the reaction to it here, probably in a country that would be I don't know. Hey, further down the long the line in some ways on this, and then not. I don't know. Like it's sort of a maybe the two of us aren't best placed to have that discussion. Like I'm trying to think what is the is 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 everyone in Spain up in arms over this? You know, is there it, widespread so, condemnation? Yeah. Is there that is, the case? There is yeah. universal condemnation. Just in, you know, because it's, it's from afar. It's not like you know. It's not a it's not a World Cup hero in our country. Is there no. more? Understanding there, or no. more. What's to understand? No, no, no. There's, there's, I, there's I, I no, that, uh, there's like, no, there's no different sensibilities. He's been criticised by government agencies. Big story. Okay, it's a, it's a national, I mean, international outrage. Then at the damaged, like it's sort of. I don't know where he wants to go with his, uh, you know, with his life from here. Um, travel far in the short travel, term. Travelling far, obviously, yeah. presumably that, that he wasn't hacked for that photo as well. Um, like that's. I mean, it's 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 a. It's it's pretty damaging, as I said. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of damaging. those things that's. Uh, I mean, on, on the one hand, it's 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 this minuscule ten seconds of his life, and mm-hmm. yet it will be associated with him uh, forever. And I, I I dare say you just always think, what was that about? Certainly, if he clings to his "I was hacked" and doesn't uh, well, explain like further. I mean, that's it. Or you're trying to talk about, it, then you of course have to. No, he was hacked, that, that, he, that he was hacked as opposed to you can't reference the decisions. You know, um, wasn't there an Aston Villa player? Make him remember. Was it? Or was it Jolien Lesko? Well, there was somebody who um, accidentally or tweeted a, in response to criticism like a picture of a very expensive uh, new Jolien Lesko in his pocket. Lesko. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think the thing was that it went off in his pocket. I mean, I mean, I've I've pocket dialed on occasion. I'm yeah. sure you've pocket dialed on occasion. I haven't screen grabbed a photo. Tweet. I haven't managed to to accurately pocket dial respond to abuse <laughs> in a provocative. <laughs> Uh, manner it was which, incredibly unfortunate like if you could train your phone to do that that would yeah. be hugely helpful you wouldn't have to deal with some uh, responses yourself Dan and Barry in the lead this draws a disaster well thanks for like uh, thanks for that diversion um, yeah I mean so I walked out of the draw hall yesterday uh, and I did sort of meet some of the FEI delegation there and I mean do you know the way like there's always a great so, so, you can always find a contrarian there's always a contrarian somewhere who'll, and, and I'm seeing a small bit of a come true now it's like these are going to be but these are going to be great occasions these are going to be great games that stands and I respect that point of, of view however <laughs> however it's still an absolutely horrific draw <laughs> like I, I, you know and I'm saying that from the context of maybe someone who's say covering football full time 
who knows what Euro 2024 means to the FAI, what it means to Stephen Kenny, like, you know, a lot of things of what happened in the last couple of years. There's always been the, but there'll always be Germany type thing going on in the background. And, and like, that's always been a sort of a degree of consolation for certain struggles. Like, like, like 2022, in many respects, was a real ghost year in international football. Now, can deal with this. The Nations League is actually really important and I mean, I don't know how many times we need to learn that lesson in Ireland that it's important and yet they'll come round and be like, oh, these are just glorified friendlies, these aren't big games. It's like, and I think sometimes that's a spillover from we get so much of our uh, football thoughts or coverage from the English football discourse and how they speak about international football in England. So I saw Gary Neville was on last week on Sky talking about you know, these, these four games in 10 days at the end of the window are a joke. And sure enough, they probably were for England who got terrible results probably as a consequence. But they don't really care if they go down from first to second seeds. France didn't care if they went down from first to second seeds because they're France. They'll be fine. They're England. They'll, they'll generally yeah. be fine. Ireland though, no, like Ireland, it's, the Nations League is big. It's getting more important and like we're we're learning this the hard way now and it's because like these formats these these convoluted things we're trying to explain how it all works it's all about this but i mean we have suffered <laughs> from the from from the nations league results but in saying that to go back to my original point 2020 was a little bit of a ghost year and in fact in reality 2021 was because Ireland lost the first two World Cup qualifiers so early so you go back to the Luxembourg game what 27th of March 2021 by then I actually remember probably being on here or writing the the, the depressing thought that it's going to be almost sort of two years before Ireland play another you know another really big qualifying fixture and then you get to that draw and you're like oh no mm. like Ireland may not play in this tournament Ireland may not even get a playoff for this tournament that's probably likely still but not guaranteed and then you're thinking World Cup 26 you're thinking 2028 and you're thinking that's 12 years from Robbie Brady it's like that's pretty grim like mm. you know, that's some of the best years of people's lives going to tournaments you know people and their Ireland fans in their late teens early 20s like this is a bad draw I mean yes you will have the memories of you know Netherlands and France and whatever but to me it's about the major tournament summers. It's about those yeah, experiences. And uh, they matter. And I know from the perspective of anyone in the FBI, they weren't talking about it being good games. Right. They would have taken... If you'd said to them, there's a glitch in the system here and you have to play uh, Pharaohs, Gibraltar, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the worst commercial uh, teams in every option but the easiest, they'd have taken that. Okay. Because... Uh, the TV money is centralised now so you know I think you know the the differences you know the financial difference from, from these games like is not as big as it used to be years ago when getting Germany for example or France was worth millions extra now it's not it's all centralised it doesn't matter it's all about qualifying and this draw there is no positive slant it from a football perspective for me yeah so effectively they probably have no chance of getting past either of these two and I hope we're Please clip this. Surprised. Please clip this in the future. You know, put in a line saying, if you're listening to this in the future, you know, we're, we're glad to be idiots and I'm happy to... If Ireland finish ahead of either of Netherlands or France, I'll, t- I'll take the flack for that. And so it's, it's a grim prospect, but as of yesterday morning, 
I had always thought, well, I'll worry about the playoffs when the playoffs become our, our <laughs> oh, next our next kind of uh, route through. Oh, Whereas I'm gosh. now, and, and before we've kicked the ball, I'm now thinking I need to really brush up. Where's what our is permutations the playoff situation? Where's our permutations yeah. going? So I, will that be 12 teams and three qualify in effect in the playoffs? I've been trying to think of an analogy that makes the playoffs uh, thing palatable, right? And all I can think about is this. People have to think about the Nations League as a qualifying for a Grand Prix, Right. Nations League is like qualifying for a Grand Prix. So everyone has their grid position and they're in that grid position at the start of the race, the race being the qualifying next year. Mm-hmm. Then the race happens and clearly the higher you are up in the grid, you have a better chance of finishing higher up in the race. But things will happen. Teams will crash. You know, accidents will happen. But the top 20 teams are through yeah. automatically. And when those top 20 teams are gone, you go back to the grid yeah. and you'll say, in order... These are your playoff teams. And where Ireland are at the moment is sort of at that cut-off point where they're hoping that no more than two teams behind them in the grid finish in the top two in their group. So in effect, we are looking for the big two in each group to sail through as much as possible. So let's assume that happens. Is the format of the playoffs then 12 teams three of those 12 go through there are like semi-finals yeah, and a final correct Yeah. I don't even know if our chances in that well you see four of them are going to be in League C which is Greece actually already have okay. one they do yeah Yeah. so we'll be one of the higher ranked teams if we, we do will either in. be in the B1 or the A1 and what Ireland really want is that top two scenario you want all of the big guns in League A to qualify like you want all of them to qualify Yeah. and then you have this weird scenario where you you uh, you end up going into potentially a weaker playoff than the the, the, the League B one okay. so like Estonia who are in League D are getting bumped into the League A one for example because there, there used to be four places in the playoffs now there's only three because Germany are in automatically this time so the, the consolation for the worst uh, the, the winners of the lowest Nations League pool is they could put into the best one Okay. Um, but here's the thing this is what I'm saying like England are in a group with Italy and Ukraine and uh, normally you'd be sitting I say normally I'm not going to you know cast aspersions on the, the nation's feelings but I mean Ukraine you, know, you, you wouldn't be too unhappy if England or Italy like finished third in that group um, but that actually for someone like Ireland would be very bad because then it means that England or Italy are definitely in mm. one of those playoff pots routes like it's not good it's not good this no, situation at all um, I think a playoff is possible but you need a lot of things to go right to have one that you would fancy um, and then you look at some of the other groups yesterday and you're thinking wouldn't have, wouldn't have minded that you know well, I mean? and, and look our Nations League performances left us open and vulnerable to this slice of bad luck so we have ourselves to blame yes. ultimately yeah. uh, in a minute if you can because Jonathan Wilson is waiting yeah. what constitutes an to pick the right word here an acceptable uh, a career continuing uh, group performance for Stephen Kenny. The biggest game in them all is Greece away in June. Just yeah. the way things fall out. I mean, Ireland play France at home in March. There was a bit of speculation like if March went really badly, could be on the rocks then. I can't see what could happen at home to France that could reasonably lead to any discussion around that. 11 now. But, but, the, yeah, uh, but the, the June window, like Ireland are away to Greece. Yeah. Uh, if be- Ireland have lost their opening game and then they go to Greece... Like then you're in bother. Um, if Ireland can come out of that window, you know you go into you go into France and Netherlands in September and you give it a go. Like if you're still in the group in such a way, um, and that's been a problem. Like Ireland have been out of these groups already. Let's be honest; it's not realistic that Ireland no. are going to finish in the top two. No. But I think getting towards the end with the chance of that being viable, I think people would be reasonably understanding of it if a playoff s- suddenly happened to emerge. 
but clearly if you start with two defeats you know and that's and that's why like the Greece game in June to me is sort of is the pivotal one of, of the campaign in terms of momentum and mood and everything and that's why um, you, you, you've you had Stephen Kenny on and, and you, you hear him talking about the lead up to that because of course Ireland had a, a summer camp this year where the first game in Armenia went really badly yeah they can't they can't have something like that happen again Okay, Dan, staying with us back in a sec. Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes. It's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. You're very welcome back. Joe Malloy here, Dan McDonald alongside me. Very happy to say Jonathan Wilson is with us as well. Good evening. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, great. So we had Arsenal 3, Liverpool 2 yesterday. We will come on to Arsenal. I know the um, Arsenal fans feel they've been much ignored uh, across much of this season. Uh, but for Liverpool, I think we can acknowledge that the uh, title race is beyond them. And, well, I don't know, Jonathan, how you think Klopp finds his way out of this one I suppose it depends on what your key diagnosis of the problem is yeah it's a it's a huge problem yeah well it's not just one problem it's a series of problems which are becoming linked and every time I think you you reach towards a solution in one area it creates other issues elsewhere so you know I think we knew a couple of years ago that that this was a team that was in danger of getting old together uh, I think Klopp has or Liverpool as a whole have, have signed players to try and alleviate that, um, but but that has has changed the dynamic. So uh, you look at Mohamed Salah's form, and he's only scored six goals in open play since uh, the since he came back from the Cup of Nations in in February. Um, and one of the reasons for that is he's not having as many shots as he was. He was having I think last season up until uh, I think January the second against Chelsea was the last game he played before going to the Cup of Nations. He had 3.9 shots per game. This season so far, he's been having 2.9 shots per game. And I think yeah, part of that may be physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, the disappointment of losing the Cup of Nations final, then losing that World Cup qualifying playoff, both at Senegal. But the other thing that happened in January was they signed Luis Diaz. Luis Diaz comes in, that means Sadio Mane moves to the middle, and that means that your centre-forward isn't the player like Firmino or like Diego Jota, who drops off creating space for Salah to move into. It's somebody who plays in the more typical number nine position. Darwin Nunez is the same. He likes to play as the, the lead of the line in the middle. He's in the box. And so Salah hasn't got that space. Mm. That then has a knock-on effect for Trent Alexander-Arnold. And he he ends up not able to overlap Salah because Salah's staying wide. So he starts coming inside. His crosses then become less effective because you know he's just crossing from a less dangerous position. And also, it seems from that position, for, for some reason, to be harder for him to get back when balls are played in behind him. The Liverpool press generally isn't functioning as well as it has done. And that means that the defence has left more exposed. Alexander-Arnold um, was able to push forward in that very aggressive way because the press made it very hard for opponents to measure passes in behind him. Well, now the press isn't functioning. Opponents are measuring passes in behind him. Everybody now knows that's a vulnerability. Everybody's trying to target that. And I think we've seen his confidence has, has waned, leading to some very strange decision-making, as in the second Arsenal goal yesterday. So it's a whole series of, of problems. I, I don't really think you can say there's anything on you know, within that 
team framework at the minute that that's, that's working well. And so to say, how do you fix it? I think is very, very difficult. I think Klopp's had enough success. He deserves the right to try to fix it. But I think we're probably already looking at next season rather than this. Maybe they can have a run in the FA Cup or the, or the Champions League still, but the league is is way, way beyond them. Mm. And, and I mean, you take Salah even, and, and those issues further exacerbated by this slight subtle change of system to try and protect the back four a bit more and, and try and require less of Henderson and Thiago, for instance, from a running point of view. If you take the opening goal yesterday, where it, initially it looks reasonably okay, I don't know where you at the game, so maybe it looked totally different in the stadium, but from a television point of view, it's it's Saka and Jesus, and they're reasonably lined up against Van Dijk and, and Matip and Alexander-Arnold, and then suddenly that left side is just flooded with runners from deep, and it's only on another replay where you see Martinelli amongst them ultimately scores, and another like waving their hands frantically at Saka because they've got a run on Salah and he's somewhere in the centre circle and this new system requires him to cover Alexander-Arnold more than he might have been used to when Jordan Henderson was in between the pair of them to uh, back up Salah in a 4-3-3. And like like Arsenal are just thinking, well, we can't believe our luck here and and goal duly happens. And that, I mean, 4-2-3-1... I kind of saying to someone yesterday this is like Manchester United where they, they desperately go from one change of system or a player in a certain spot to another and, and ultimately it doesn't mask the many fundamental problems uh, getting Salah on the right hand side of a 4-2-3-1 is not going to help the situation much either again this, this is why it's tricky for Klopp when ultimately he just needed to buy more players over the summer and be more ruthless Um, yeah I mean I, I guess there's two or three points there. So, yeah, I mean, Salah went off after, what, 69 minutes, I think. And Klopp said afterwards, oh, it's because we were worried about his workload. He, you know, he's putting such a defensive shift or, you know, words to that effect. Well, that defensive shift involved zero tackles and zero interceptions. So, okay, it is a sort of truism that the, 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 the best defenders you know, don't actually kind of make tackles. But... If you're the the winger trying to track a fullback or, or trying to get involved on that, that that flank, you'd think you'd be involved in some way that the stats register. So yes, yeah, so you say Martinelli gets free. The other problem with that first goal, and is a problem with with I would say probably Thiago, but certainly that Thiago Henson axis. But suddenly Odegaard's in space. I don't know, thirty yards from goal. Mm. It, the three defenders lined up in front of him with Martinelli making that angled run at pace. And that's the simplest pass in the world to slip mm. through between uh, Matip and, and, and um, Alexander-Arnold. That you know, You've got somebody who's brilliant at playing that type of pass, but given the sort of pass that yeah, almost any player could pull off once they've got in that position. I think you saw with the, the, the second Arsenal goal, um, I mean, yeah, Jamie Carragher uh, today was talking about how odd it was that Liverpool chose to to put the ball in the box uh, in the, you know, the last minute of first half injury time from a free kick that was in a position where, as he pointed out, you can't score from a first header because it's so deep. The defensive line can be quite high, it can be you know, 20, 25 yards out. So you're looking for a header down. So a, the best case scenario is there's a loose ball. So you're, you're risking being counted upon. And yet... They didn't really have the players in space to 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 deal with that potential counter. When it comes, 
Arsenal had a three on three. Uh, Liverpool's defence, those three who were left, which was Henderson to the right, Alexander Arnold in the middle, and Simicast to the left, they looked to be in a really good, in a reasonably good position. But then the Arsenal runners coming through aren't being picked up. So Thiago just lets, um, I think it's Odegaard goes, just goes past him. Mm. And he, he makes no effort to pick him up. And and so because of that, Alexander-Arnold, when, when he, I, I, probably wrongly, but you can see why he's concerned by Henderson against the pace of Martinelli, why he, he sort of goes over to double up. Simicasson has to come across the other Gabriel Jesus. And then there should have been other Liverpool players coming back to pick up Saka at the back post, to pick up Odegaard at the end of the, at the edge of the box. But there isn't. You know, the player who gets back is Darwin Nunez. He's had to run 80 yards. So something fundamentally has gone wrong with the the structure of how they set up to, to counter a counter. Mm. But also, I mean, with Thiago, just a bit of effort. I mean, you know, it shouldn't be that, that much to expect somebody to run back 30 or 40 yards. To, to, to track a runner in the final minute of the first half. No, and it's also uh, it's also an opposition to what Liverpool have been under Klopp for the vast majority of his tenure. As for Arsenal, uh, they have youth, they have a settled shape, they have settled personnel, their summer signings are settling in beautifully, they have a manager who has uh, won everybody over, I would think, and been very impressive in many, many ways. They are the real deal. How sustainable is this across the next 30-odd games with Man City uh, pretty much destined to keep things very much on track? I'd, well, I'd say you'd have to say Arsenal now are the favourites to come second. I, I, I'd still be staggered if... I mean, the, the World Cup is this big unknown. We don't know how that's going to affect the season. So I, I guess there's still that lurking there um, that, that, I don't know, maybe Holland having a month off, maybe that will somehow affect his rhythm. But I, I find it very hard to see how City can be stopped. But I think you'd have to say... Arsenal have so far been the best of the rest. I'm not 100% convinced by them, but I think it, you know, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be worried about the way Tottenham equalised with essentially the first the first chance they got last week. The, the soon as Son got, got a run at Arsenal, they conceded. And I think there's something similar happened early in the second half where Liverpool, having looked under loads of pressure, are suddenly able to create a chance of Firmino scores. So th- that would trouble me slightly. And I think that's the, uh, I guess, a milder form of what happened at Old Trafford where Arsenal looked fairly comfortable and then end up getting picked off and lose 3-1. So, so, so that's not perfect yet. But I think what is really encouraging is both against Tottenham and against Liverpool, having had that setback of conceding, losing a lead when they've been pretty much in control of the game, they didn't buckle as Arsenal teams of the past may have done. But they they reset and and they had the the resilience to to, to go on and, and and still win the game, both games relatively comfortably. I, I mean three two doesn't sound comfortable, but in terms of the balance of play, they they were much a better side. Mm. Yeah, like I mean, Jonathan Joe sort of alluded to it there with his first part of a sort of a Arsenal statement. Like, is it just the case that they're just maturing that that they found that settled shape, or is there is there sort of a, a discernible difference to their approach this season that you can see that evolution? Um, no, I think you can see this is what they've been building to. I think Gabriel Jesus coming in, I think he he fits that system a lot more naturally than, than Lacazette did or Aubameyang before him. That yeah, his his pace when he gets to run at teams, his dribbling ability, but also his, his, his mobility that he can drop off that front line and create space for Saka and Martinelli, who I think have become much more direct this season, partly because of that, that there is space for them to run into. 
So I, I think yeah, that that forward line works much better. Odegaard is is benefiting from that. I think he's maturing and he now looks a sensational creative midfielder. And then behind them, that that partnership of of Party and uh, and Xhaka is is working really well. Um, and Saliba coming in, adding solidity to, to to the back four. So you can see sort of all all four areas of the pitch here: yeah, d- defense, back of midfield, front of midfield, forward line have all slightly upgraded this season, partly because of personnel, partly because of just the way it's clicking. And once that starts to happen, you get that multiplicatory effect of, of confidence, which is a, you know what, what Liverpool have got in the opposite direction, that they've got the loss of confidence is is exaggerating all the flaws. Well, Arsenal have got the, 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 the snowballing confidence, which is magnifying everything they're doing right. Jonathan, we're a year on from the Newcastle takeover. So it was about this time a year ago when uh, very memorably Sky were on the pitch and it was a scene of celebration and Jamie Redknapp, I think, was interviewing one of the uh, owners or or somebody certainly in the hierarchy. And here we are a year on and they celebrated with a 5-1 win against Brentford and everybody uh, around St. James's Park seems to be quite positive. Uh, What jumps out, and I think it was Gary Neville made me make this uh, point, and, and it is very true, they seem to have skipped the uh, the very dominant but also hilarious phase of buying the Rubinio types and the the you know Ronaldo. Really, Newcastle should have bought Ronaldo. They they seem to have uh, been a touch shrewder than that in the transfer market thus far, certainly, and and not gone for the big names who are either mercenaries or past their sell by date. What are we to say, uh, moral quibbles aside for a moment? What are we to say of Newcastle's first year? Yeah, I think from a footballing point of view, uh, well, I don't know. If you asked me that two weeks ago, I might not have had quite the same answer, but comfortable wins over Fulham and Brentford <laughs> have added a gloss. Uh, and I think we should bear in mind that, um, yeah, they're playing a Fulham team who reduced to 10 men very, very early. Brentford basically gave them four goals. I mean, that's a bit unfair in Newcastle, but that that was a, a result that had at least as much to do with Brentford's um, fallibility is, is Newcastle playing well I think there had been a little bit of frustrating, frustration growing with the number of draws they'd had uh, but then they had injuries to, to, to key attacking players um, but but yeah the fundamental point is I think from a football point of view they, they've signed pretty sensibly I think Kieran Trippier made a huge difference to them last year before he got the injury uh, and uh, Gamarash clearly is is, a, is an extremely good player either playing deep in midfield as he had been or, or pushing further forward um, and, and I mean the, the the Newcastle tendency seems to be to to celebrate Eddie Howe, which I guess is an easy way of not talking about all the money they spent and where that money might have come from. But I think yeah, yeah, uh, he has done a good job in terms of tightening them up, which is the thing that his Brentford side couldn't do; they couldn't defend. And, and this Newcastle side, if anything, the problem has been scoring goals and turning domination into uh, in, into positive results. But the last couple of weeks of have begun to turn that around. So I'm not entirely convinced. I think they could slip back into that slightly frustrating phase they had. But at the moment, you'd have to say that they've they've done things pretty well. Frustratingly, because it would have been nice to see them spend loads of silly money because that's that's fun for everybody to to watch a club make a fool of themselves. Massive disappointment that they haven't done that. I was hoping for Sergio Ramos. I was hoping some some big names down around St. James's Way. Yeah, someone like off YouTube or something who plays seven minutes or something. But uh, I'm kind of thinking though, Jonathan, like Eddie Howe, 
he's probably going to be in the England discussion after the World <laughs> Cup or something. I mean, this, this is probably the next phase of the Eddie Howe story where he can get study. Like Jonathan, it, Jonathan just had an allergic reaction <laughs> to that. <laughs> just mention England's World Cup prospects and he's totally, he's, uh, he's, he's imploded. Yeah, I can feel the sand getting in my nose already. But. But surely Eddie Howe is going to come in. Like I can just, I can just, I can feel that coming down the tracks if if the Southgate thing does move, or or am I completely misreading that? Uh, John, no, I don't. Terms? I don't think you are because um, the the truth is that, um, the, the, I think there's a a general sense that Southgate probably is nearing the end. I mean, I don't think it would be a surprise to anybody. Um, okay, okay, I guess the question to ask is, what would England have to do at the World Cup for Southgate still to be in the job in January? I think if he wins the World Cup, he, well, I'd hope he'd be sensible enough for his own sake to walk because he's not going to get any better than that. Uh, if they go out before the quarterfinals, he'd probably be, be forced out by public pressure. So if England lose, having played pretty well, getting to the quarterfinal of a semifinal, then, then maybe that is what keeps him in the job for another two years. If there's a sense that there is still progress and things are still going well under him. But I, I would say it's more likely than not that, that this will be his last tournament and you then look at the short list of, of who can succeed him and that is a very very short list and Eddie Howe is maybe the only name on it I mean, it's it's very hard to it, it, assuming it's going to be an English candidate it's it's pretty hard to to, to see anybody else really featuring um, just you know, the nature of the Premier League is that there aren't many uh, English managers about maybe and, and I I know this is not an Englishman, but maybe Brendan Rodgers. Maybe that's a way for him to get out of Leicester, which he's clearly desperate to do. Uh, and and you know, maybe just you know, his background in the Premier League will be enough to make him palatable. But yeah, as an English candidate, I think uh, Eddie Howe is pretty much the the only one there. Unless I can't, don't think there's anybody I've missed, is there? No, I mean it's a great way. I mean Eddie Howe can leverage to get even more money out of the Saudis. Well, it's, it's, I mean, like this is this is incredible. Yeah. Like you know, he's in the he's he's got the lotto ticket there. Like if you're in Newcastle, what club do you want to be at for someone well, to it, make it, an approach for you? You know, it's it's got to be Newcastle, sure. Oh, if you're in Newcastle, this is a really easy way of upgrading to Thomas Tuchel. Oh yeah, well you see that it could just be the perfect. The perfect moment we, in time. We would never stand in your way, Eddie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we understand this is your dream. <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't worry about that compensation. Thomas, are you... Uh, yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Manchester United beat Everton at Goodison. Uh, Martial started the game. Ronaldo came on. Casemiro started as well. Uh, there were the initial moments where Ronaldo, uh, great leader and pro that he now is, was I- I- disappointed that the ball was not crossed into him. And instead of getting back onside, uh, threw his hands in the air in disgust. And then the goal that United scored was ruled offside because Ronaldo was too busy <laughs> remonstrating. But then, to be fair to him, uh, brilliant finish, his 700th club goal, which is just this ridiculous uh, landmark. And it was quite striking on BT Sport, Rio Ferdinand, Joe Cole, Julian Lescott, you know. The, the tone of the post-match coverage was very much, he's not the problem. You know, this guy back in the team probably needs to happen. You know, very hard to keep him out now. Uh, to be fair, though, Joe Cole made the not unreasonable point uh, Jonathan, he said, it's not like, you know, X number of games under Ten Hag, they're pressing like crazy without him. So, you know, maybe like the argument's not as silly as it's been portrayed in places when it comes to Ronaldo. Um, yeah, I, I, I sort of think it's not just about the pressing, though. It, it's, yeah, United have got to be weaned off Ronaldo. Uh, it's an unhealthy situation for, for him to be there uh, because... I mean, for, t- for two reasons. So, firstly, because he's just not the future to which Ten Hag is, is aiming. 
Now you can say Casemiro isn't either, and that would also be true. But I think Casemiro, you can see that as a more reasonable patch to, you know, as, as a as a way of building a bridge towards the the Ten Hagian future. Ronaldo just isn't that. He's a, he's purely a short term fix, and he's a short term fix who's sort of a the, the whole sort of circus that goes on around him that he necessarily brings. I think that does have a tendency to derail everything. That every conversation about United, whether Ronaldo plays, whether he doesn't play, it's always about him. So somehow, even when they lose six three to City, the story is mm. why wasn't he brought on? Mm. Oh, he wasn't brought on because of respect for his career. And then there's this whole thing of, well, is it respectful to leave him on the bench to start? So the whole thing becomes about Ronaldo. I think it must be incredibly hard for a manager to try and assert himself in that circumstance. And actually, I think what Ten Hag's done has been very impressive. That. Uh, he's asserted his authority in a number of ways. One of them by by making the team do that punitive thirteen k run after the Brentford defeat. One of them by leaving Ronaldo on the bench and saying nobody's so big that I'm going to pick him come what may. I still think Martial is closer to to what Ten Hag would would like from centre forward. Uh, I think Rashford's played, you know, he's shown signs of life after you know eighteen eighteen months, two years of mm. playing pretty badly. Um, so, I, I I don't think Ronaldo is 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 nailed on uh, as a starter, and I, I'm also not sure that scoring a goal against a team managed by Frank Lampard is necessarily a sign that that a man is back in form and, and all's well in the world. A lot, you know, a lot of people have scored goals against teams managed by Frank Lampard. Admittedly, not this season, but in the fairly recent past. Jonathan, great to have you on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, Jonathan Wilson. With us. Back in one sec. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports You're very welcome back Excuse me, you're very welcome back Our uh, football coverage is brought to you by Sky Out Believe together as our women's national team face Scotland in the World Cup playoffs tomorrow It is live here on the show with a full commentary which we're looking forward to Huge game Obviously, Dan McDonald is still here. Ah, lads, don't be so negative. More than capable of getting a result across four games against the French and the Dutch, says Tony. Yeah, we went, I, I, I think that will happen. The problem is you'll need more than one. What, what do we need? How many points do we need from those four games? I, I think... Don't say four. But it depends. But this is where the Greece games are key. If you can kick full points against Greece, which would be amazing, yeah. then then you're in a slightly different situation. I'm giving us um, six points against the Greeks. <laughs> yeah, just like just like that. You know, they've they've won their leagues. Like they drew against Spain uh, away last year. Um, Gus Poyet, of course, the manager of uh, Greece. We we met Gus yesterday, and uh, mm. he was in he was in good form. Last from the past. all over the place. He was managing in Chile last year. Yeah. And he's ended up suddenly got the Greece job. Global so football like, well, man. Yeah, like he's, he's from Uruguay. Like it's some life, really. Mm. Uh, released John Egan when he was manager of Sunderland. Egan Oof. wasn't happy about how it was handled. Like Grudge match. So that's that's what it's all about. Revenge, Egan, John. Egan and Poyet. Uh, I think if you get full points against Greece, then you have a little bit more leg room. But you're probably gonna. I think you can. If you if you, you can maybe lose one of the four games, but you probably need to beat them. You know, you need to get two wins or somehow go unbeaten and hope that it becomes one of, as in you know draw draw like what do Ireland do but draw yeah. like you know a load of draws and hope that Greece get involved and it becomes one of these groups where like loads of teams take points off each other in such a way that sort of a landmark win is really like two points like you want France and Netherlands drawn both of their games yes, and then creating some scenario where like a win can just like 
really like elevate you in such a way. But like France and Netherlands playing the first day of the group before when I don't even play. So it's know. such a lopsided schedule for Ireland as well that it's like weird. France twice before we played the Dutch once. You know, it's this weird the, uh, shape. The fixture that. lists are uh, are done centrally now. I think Stephen kind of spoke to you about that earlier. Before they used to go into a room and argue. You That's know, a much more dramatic and enjoyable way of doing it all. Yeah. Who, who won the negotiation? The like, ah, like yeah. Someone would come out and go, yes, we've we've got them at home and like, you know, want, you'd want to probably a, a big home game already actually against something like France because yeah. you're not out of the group but then you get a trade-off and um, yeah, but now I do agree. I think if the, if the nations were doing it, they wouldn't have situations where you'd play like they'd probably have like four and four in the sense that you wouldn't have like your two games against Holland in the second half of the group. You know, it'd be a sort of a like a Europa League or Conference League group now. There's generally a format to it. Like the team you play first is the team you play last, but it's a little bit more. I don't know. It's it's really weird how it's how it's devised and and sort of sketched out. Do you ever watch uh, Ted Lasso? I've actually, you know what, I've downloaded it on my phone with the intention of watching it, um, but I've not got around to it. It's grand. It's overrated, but it's grand. It's worth a look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a scene in that where the grizzly old pro, uh, Roy Kent, who I think you might have a guess who he might be based <laughs> on as you watch it. <laughs> God, it's like, it's like the old Sensible Soccer or something back no. in the day. They don't have the rights for the full names or yeah. something. Yeah. So uh, one of the younger players is down injured and he's still trying to win over the crowd and he's about to get back up and Kent comes over to him and says, stay down, look like you're in pain. Now in 10 seconds, get up and really like limp and grimace and then limp back to your position. The yeah. kid's like, oh, okay, and does it. And the crowd responds, like, it cuts the fans going, oh, he's so brave and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I was thinking of that when I watched Ronaldo walking in at full time from the Goodison pitch last night because it was a slow motion walk and he knew the old pro that in the BT studio, Rio, Joe Cole, Jolien were paying homage to him. This was prime time. Oh yeah. Get that camera in real tight here chest back and uh, it is amazing that they were saying oh, well he's not the problem but he, this, pr- this proves he's not the problem I'm not saying you know he's, he's uh, a complete waste of time far from it I, swear I can see some of the arguments putting him in but I mean as Jonathan Wilson said he scored a goal against Everton this doesn't change have many and I, I, like, have many ex-pros like really gone in on Ronaldo in the sense of him being a problem no I think there's such such because they've been there yeah. we, we all know how great he was obviously to a point but they really know how great he is that's you know? the football hierarchy there's a sense of you know within that sort of within that world like you see it at the weekend even at the Euros Raw you have like Figo and the legends there yeah. and there's almost a sense of once you get to legend status then we, we will not disrespect you Yes, and that's some, sometimes like the pundits ex-pro pundits who take off or maybe lower profile players who have opinions you know um, and aren't afraid a, a bit more to unleash them but it's almost like the higher up the food chain you go there's just a respect that you mm. do not you do not dis. Well, I thought it was very apparent in that BT studio. Again, he had done nothing in that game which suddenly changes the fact he's 37 and there are various issues no. with what he can produce and why Ten Hag doesn't want him a team. But it was like, this is what he does, you know? And and it's like all this silly, it's like his first 700 goal to be the one that wins the game. That says everything about him. I mean, yeah, he's just as likely to score six against a minnow, you know. But like, it's one of the things, like, I mean, I think about like Robbie Keane's final years with Ireland. Like Robbie Keane, Ireland's greatest ever goal scorer. But it did get to a stage a little bit towards the end where, where Ireland were often playing 4-5-1 and he just couldn't, like, he couldn't be the one in the 4-5-1 in certain games. And it was tough though. Yeah. And, and no one, like no ex-player really wanted to say, 
we should drop Robbie Keane because that's their ex-teammate and like the, one of the outstanding players of their generation. And yeah. I think it was actually difficult for some of the pundits in the arena then to talk about and it was no reflection on him. It was just like it's tough, you know, and, and like the, the demands on a striker now and the demands on the legs in those positions is difficult and sort of, you know, Ronaldo, that's the thing. Like you have a go with him I said, well, what have you done in your career? I think that's it. I think they all feel that acutely. Yeah. Like, this guy's, hang on, this guy deserves our respect. Yeah. Which is, I sort of get that as well, you know. It's, mm. it's a very human emotion. Uh, we're out of time. Daniel, thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Of the Irish Independent. So, look, you've got some nice trips next year. I think that's the... That's what I, well, I, I actually prefer the miserable Eastern European... Uh, <laughs> actually, do, I actually, actually do. No, yeah, I, I, know you, I know you do. You're I, genuine. I don't like any of these trips. Apparently, maybe Greece, but the rest of them... Too much glamour for you. Ah, just, you know, I, mean, so I, I, I could say something there. I'm not going to say it. I just like the, I like the, the real hardcore away support who go to the far flung places. Oh, you don't like the types that go to Paris and... Uh, well, it won't be Paris, Dutch. wherever it's going to be. But yeah, it's like, they, well, I'll see them when the tournament comes round. But I mean, let's go to Yerevan. The tournament going right types. Yeah. Yeah, you don't like them. Of, there's going to be a lot oh, of them who like, do we even care about the result? Like that's, yeah. that's not the energy you want. <laughs> that's, that's the truth though they're all going to be out our People football doubling them up with the Rugby World Cup trip was like oh, oh I great. knew rugby was going to get a look in <laughs> our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky Out Believe Together as our women's national team face Scotland in the World Cup playoffs tomorrow a game we have for you live tomorrow uh, Dan McDonald, thank you very much thank we uh, are back tomorrow morning half past seven as usual Tom Dunn is on the way next Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports